Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, um, chiming into our conversation here at season two, episode number seven of Future Proofing Now. And we are talking excitedly about uh, something called the Cross Industry Movers. Uh, we are covering off a range of different industries with four expert panelists today. Um, and hopefully, you know, you can steal stuff from other industries that are working out. Uh, and so as much as we're covering off healthcare, finance, and retail and automotive, um, there are lessons to be learned, um, certainly when you get outside of your own industry. So we've going for an hour. I would say right off the top, we're doing this in, at least in my part of the world, the third week of the pandemic shutdown or quarantine. Uh, and so I would just like to say a lot of empathy for the real impacts that's creating for people and the struggles that people are going through and, and certainly the champions in healthcare that are shepherding us through this um, very telling moment in our history. This will be a generational defining moment. And we may ask our panelists up front to actually chime in on the fact that when we had scheduled this discussion, there was no pandemic. And so um, now it's here, we'll probably address some of the big impacts up front. Um, just three real quickies as people start the filing. Um, we, our last episode from two weeks ago, the 52 leading business models, uh, we've now got it up and online. So as all of our episodes, and so you can go to a, a number of different kind of channels as we will with this one two or three days after this webcast airs. Myself and Andrea also had hosted an open forum. We'll likely do one of these again, but it was just really nice to get 40 to 50 really smart people into a Zoom room and talking about what next COVID. And so um, it was less webcast as we are today and more just people sharing with each other and kind of just getting out of their bedrooms or living rooms or wherever and just having a good chat about um, where we're going. So we'll likely do that again over the next two or three weeks. And then finally, Andrew was uh, kind enough, my co-host, to actually um, host an episode of our, I guess, a second webcast that we're doing for authors. And so um, we're doing something called In the Author Studio. Uh, I think we're, we're taking it from the Inside the Actor Studio and just going deep with various authors around the world that have authored things around change. I'd love to introduce Andrea, my co-host and partner in crime on these uh, webcasts, as well as Joanne, our community manager. Um, Andrea? Looking forward to a good discussion today. Good discussion, important discussion, and timely discussion. Well said, well said. Very uh, succinct, but, uh, but apt and true. Um, and just, uh, I personally believe that having cross-industry perspectives and experience and insight uh, is crucially important to uh, delivering value and success in kind of the modern economy. We did a survey last year where finally, finally more than half the people say, the biggest existential threat to their business is likely to happen outside of their own category. So a bank, you might be more interested in what Google's doing now versus another bank. Um, a retailer, you might be interested in what an AI startup is doing versus another retailer. And so I think as opposed to the industry vision here, kind of tunnel vision, um, certainly uh, my personal belief, you know, looking across industry you can lead to better ideas and innovation experiences you know, springboards for growth, transformation in business models. And Andrea, I know there's a lot of different headlines in terms of looking across industry, whether it's tech or leadership or, or just what the pandemic's doing to look across the divide. Any thoughts in terms of our own, our own book and our own thinking around um, cross industry? We've been thinking cross industry for, I don't know, 10 years together, Sean, I think. Uh, and we think that now there are two forcing functions around this. Number one is it's really obvious that in a moment of crisis, you have to look a lot more broadly and a lot more bravely to other people who are already doing something you've been thinking of. And the second forcing function is it's not just technology that's gonna make these changes. There's something really important about understanding that what, what Sean and I have said is unfortunately, it's taken this pandemic to bring this world together in many ways. And so we look across the silos for who's figured out ways to use logistics well. You know, if we have to deliver, deliver food in a new way, who's figured that out? Well, instead of just thinking that these are academic ideas, these are now emergencies that make a difference to us and our neighbors. And I think that that's a good thing about the forcing function, in addition to the fact that grandmothers have now and grandfathers have now figured out how to use FaceTime to talk to their grandchildren. So <laughs> they're, they're things small and large. 
I'm, I'm personally worried this pandemic around haircuts. Uh, I'm at haircuts. right now. I don't know who's going to cut my hair in a week, which is my regular interval. So yeah, let, let's, let's get right down to it. I, we have not uh, gone deep with our panelists. We didn't ask them to submit something ahead of time. So they may choose any one of these 20 headwinds and tailwinds in terms of you know, parts of discussion. We thought um, we're doing a thing about 20. We should at least expose 20 different categories of um, you know, different areas of study. Um, so I'd love to introduce our panelists now because um, they all come to us from different um, spheres, different cities, um, I guess in uh, left to right order. Um, Ted Graham. Ted Graham's uh, head of open innovation for GM. I've known Ted for over a decade now. He's got a great job of just identifying partnerships for connected vehicles, for autonomous driving vehicles. Uh, we'll maybe get into flying cars. I'm always interested in the Jetsons era of uh, automotive, so um, maybe we'll talk about that. He's also not just a thinker, but a doer. He authored a book called The Uber of Everything, and in the process of doing that, um, actually functioned as a ride-sharing driver for a number of uh, number of months slash years. So I'm, I'm very curious about his experience there. And he was recently appointed to Canada's expert panel on autonomous driving. Um, and so he's guiding and shepherding what the Canadian government looks at in terms of self-driving cars. He's formerly PwC and McKinsey and uh, lesser known fact, he is a leading and elite rock, paper, scissors uh, player. So um, Ted, uh, welcome to the discussion. Thank you, Sean. Um, also moving to the right, Elaine Pratt. She is Managing Director of EP Consulting. Spent over 20 years um, looking at uh, different uh, consumer and global brands, um, uh, most recently as Global Marketing Director for Consumer and Retail for KPMG. Um, she's now heading up EP Consulting, which is a, both a marketing, a research, and a strategy solutions um, consulting arena and it's funny um beyond her lesser known fact of being a a pretty elite kite boarder uh in discussing and prepping for today's discussion she mentioned to me that she's fostering a cat that is now pregnant and as we are doing this webcast delivering a little kitten so uh, i'm not too sure what stress you have on your hands right now elaine but welcome to the discussion and I'd like to introduce Zev Newworth. And speaking of stress and delivery and uh, healthcare, Zev is an MD and is on the front lines right now in the COVID-19 care and feeding of really important community members, patients, and a thought leader, I would say globally in terms of how this all works. He's the chief clinical executive for care transformation and strategic services at Atrium Health. And that's one of the largest leading nonprofit hospital systems in the United States. He's also a, a very innovative thinker. I was really lucky to work with him a few years ago when he was early in the understanding that the whole healthcare system needed a reboot. And so he has written a book that I think everyone should read. We'll pitch it later. Reframing Healthcare, a Roadmap for creative disruptive, Creating Disruptive Change. And also has a podcast. And now he's actually doing a COVID-19 version of it. And gathering thought leaders, uh, and the, the podcast is called Creating a New Healthcare. We are really excited to have Zev here. And once again, I don't think he slept in days and really um, taking time out to do this. I know delivering kittens is also very important, but also delivering the, the frontline care for the patients in your community is huge. So thank you, Zev. Thank you, Andrew. And um, I'd like to introduce Kevin Johnson. I've been quoting Kevin for about a year. We met in Copenhagen. He had the world's best slide. It was a picture of a snail. And I will misquote it, and then he'll have to correct me later. But it was basically this notion that sums up cross-industry so well. Because basically he says, big picture of snail. If you're winning the snail race, it's just basically not good enough, right? Because there's gonna be somebody else in a different race that comes in, changes the game, which is the spiritual guidance for today's conversation on cross-industry. If we think that we're benchmarking and, and winning against our peers, it means we're not peering broadly enough to understand that big change is coming from outside of our line of sight. So Kevin is right now the Innovation Delivery Manager at Euroclear Group. He's joining us from Brussels. And he also uh, has been part of the FinTech ecosystem since 2014 and was with ING. And in ING, he was responsible for this program called SWIFT, which was leading innovation challenges and bringing in new ecosystems. And he's 
brings a wealth of information and knowledge. And he didn't give us this fact, but I happen to know that he's an awesome photographer. So he brings that as a, as a, as a secret superpower. <laughs> Thank you, Andrea. I'll um, try and dig a bit more into snails later on. Perfect. And maybe, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll talk, you'll correct the, uh, the actual quote, but yeah, thank you. Thank you, Kevin. And just uh, a couple of slides and then we'll get right into this question. I think we're going to treat these almost like as four installments and then do kind of around the horn at the end. Um, we posted this online. It's getting a little bit of traction in the, the world of social media right now. Um, we're doing 20, 20 different insights around cross industry. We thought we'd look at the 20 different industries. We've done surveys over the last two years on customer and technology and looked at, you know, in terms of disruption, who are the leading most ranked, what, what, who's in the crosshairs of disruption. We also added a third one, which was around the pandemic. And as you can see, these are, you know, ranging from 11 to 20. But most importantly for today's discussion, we have experts in four of the, you know, top most disrupted industries. Um, I know travel was bumped up considerably given the pandemic and what it's caused to the travel, tourism, and hospitality industry. But these are, um, if there's change happening anywhere, it's probably in these four industries. And then, Andrea, I don't know if you want to speak to this slide in terms of just the size and the growth and the, uh, the impact that these industries represented today. Yeah, so basically the whole world runs around two things. And, and Sean and I, we're really excited at Future Proofing Next, we do original research. So this is the way that practitioners, especially corporate leaders, think about trends, not just think tanky, passively looking at, at lines on graphs, but understanding how this impacts work and, and jobs and commerce and the way that we are, are all connected. The global umbrella that Sean and I like to look at is actually food, because every single day people tend to eat if they are able to. And so the meta in terms of what's happening in the world right now, we can trace first through food as a, as a, as a leading indicator of what's shifting, what are the supply chains doing, what's the patterns in terms of that. When you go down the next layer, these four industries are the next line of insight into what is really important, our health and well-being, which is you know, $10 trillion, uh, finance, banking, and insurance. There is no such thing. We used to say it's innovation you can take to the bank. Not sure that we're going to have banks pretty soon. So what's happening with people and their currency when, when the trust is eroding, when the patterns of commerce are maybe more peer-to-peer -peer and maybe gray market because of governmental regulation? Automotive logistics and trans transportation will be really great to hear what Ted has to say. We know that mobility, um, we were just listening, uh, reading an article that ANSYS filed about the fact that all of a sudden, overnight, people who said they would never, ever allow a robot to deliver anything are now begging for them to have a robot to deliver their groceries. And so suddenly mindsets shift, sometimes overnight, and we know that this world is about to experience so much change that might happen. We say it's like one, two, three, a million. You know, suddenly, you know, gradually, 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 suddenly. And we, we know that the way that we get around, although right now we're not moving very much, will that be permanent? And retail shopping and commerce, we're really excited, with, you know, hopefully Elaine, when she talks about this, we said, I think, Sean, to, to be fair, when you wrote your book, Wikibrands, it was kind of letting the world know that, wow, e-commerce is really important and, and, and online existence is very important. But now, surprisingly, not a very large percentage of the retail is happening or commerce is happening online. Will that change significantly? We say yes. So these are the four industries that we'll talk about today and they're absolutely the leading indicators. And I thought we'd just uh, maybe get our, our panelists to chime in real quick, like uh, your 30 second sound bite, you know, um, depending on where you are in the world. I know, Kevin, you're in Europe, um, we're experiencing maybe the pandemic a little bit later, but just kind of maybe an immediate reaction, both maybe the short and maybe long term implications. Of it. it's, it's a real meaty question, but maybe just the headline in terms of your own category. We'll go in maybe alphabetical order. Elaine, just um, from a retail and shopping commerce consumer, what's, uh, what do you think the, the big headline is here? Well, uh, to Andrea's uh, point around one, two, three, a million, uh, I think we're seeing some clear uh, trends and direction coming out of the COVID pandemic, but really nothing is anything that, that would surprise us. I just think that the uh, pandemic has accelerated um, a lot of the trends that we were, that we were anticipating and seeing already, um, such as 
you know, increased scrutiny of, of corporate ethics uh, and responsibilities, uh, shift to online shopping and uh, new delivery models, including um, buy online, pick up in store, or pick up somewhere, um, and investment in new technologies like robotics, drones, autonomous vehicles. So I think, you know, All right. We'll, uh, we'll go in depth in some of that uh, later. And Kevin, from a finance standpoint? I, th I think a lot of what um, you were talking about at the beginning was focusing on technology. We talked about robots delivering things. I think at a time like this, it's actually about people. It's about your colleagues, it's about your customers and making sure they're okay. I mean, every single web meeting we're having now, we're not just going straight into business, we're actually focusing on the people on the human side. I think it's really interesting that this pandemic has actually brought that out. If you watch any horror movie, the first thing that disappears is society, or is actually in reality, it's actually brought it all back together. So a focus on people, the technology is underpinning this, it's connecting everybody together like we are today, but I think it's all about the people at the end of the day. I love the optimistic spirit, Kevin. I, uh, I'm, uh, certain days I need that little shot in the arm, so appreciate bringing it back to people. Uh, Ted, your thoughts from a automotive mobility standpoint? I think right now, at least for the time being, we are all public health industries, um, whether it's thinking about how we talk to our employees about working from home and um, their safe uh, isolation and distancing to working with partners like Ventec to make ventilators um, to, to ramp up for um, capacity. I think, you know, we're first and foremost trying to work together with a variety of different partners to sort of solve the pandemic and then not looking too much farther beyond that. We understand there's going to be implications, but I think the key thing is all of us pulling together and focusing on the public health outcomes. Uh, prescient message. Um, and Zev, you're, you're kind of the front lines of this battle right now. Um, your thoughts from, uh, from probably your own experience over the last uh, few weeks. So, you know, just picking up on the themes uh, that folks have been talking about, I, I think that this is uh, by far, this is the most unprecedented moment in healthcare history. I, I actually don't think we, we can understand how big a moment this is. Um, the good part is that in the last month or so, we've seen more uh, deployment of uh, innovative ideas and technologies than probably in the last few years combined. So I think there's a tremendous silver lining to that. And I, I think it's a, a real positive. I do believe that, uh, you know, our, our brains are not wired for this, these sorts of events. And so everyone's got this sort of notion that as soon as this is over, we're gonna return back to normal. And I've actually heard that from some very sophisticated people. And uh, I think the fact is that uh, there is no normal. Um, there's going to be a new normal, and my guess is that's gonna continue to evolve, which again, I don't think is a bad thing because I think it'll uncover a lot of the um, challenges we've had in healthcare, some of the deficiencies, and I think it'll force us to actually address them and solve them uh, using some of the technologies and some of the things we could borrow from other industries. That's a great point. It's, a, it's amazing how we, we've screamed and preached agility as change agents and innovators, and now it takes a crisis to actually move things. And I, I recognize it's a major one to actually get things done in like 10%, 15% of the time that it might normally take. But uh, from crisis comes opportunity, I guess. I'm going to switch over, switch over the discussion. I guess uh, you're in the, uh, the leading perch here as well, Zev. Uh, I'm going to give the conch over to Andrea. She's going to shepherd you through the next uh, eight minutes. I'd love to just segue from what you said just now into some specifics. We, in the future proofing community, people love specific examples so that we can feel the reality of the stories behind, behind the statistics. So first of all, just tell us really, when you just said that it, it takes this pandemic, you know, that there's no going back to normal. What, what do you think is going to be this new normal? Well, uh, I think, uh, a big one that is very real and very immediate uh, and that's already occurred is that uh, the switch to virtual uh, care and uh, over in-person care. So uh, in order to prevent the spread of uh, the uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus number two, this novel virus, we've actually reduced, greatly reduced 
the uh, people coming into exam rooms and offices for visits. So most of the uh, provider groups across the country, hospital systems I speak to have told me that over 90% of the visits are now virtual. Um, whereas before, literally a month ago, we were talking about 1%, 2% that were virtual. Um, it's completely flipped in a month. I, I don't even know how to begin to explain the enormity of that switch and that flip in such a short period of time. Now, along with that has come unprecedented changes. Uh, CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid, is spewing out changes in regulations that uh, at a pace that is, again, uh, no one has ever seen before. Um, and, uh, and these changes are removing the payment and regulatory barriers that existed before in terms of virtual health. So now doctors and hospitals can get paid for virtual care in, the, in a way that they were not being paid for before. Even consults between doctors that are done virtually now. So if I call a specialist, um, that person get, will get paid for that. Before it was just a free consult. Now it's actually part of the system. And again, that's all happened really overnight. And so now once you have, uh, and, and by the way, there's uh, cross state immunity. So now uh, we're able to have physicians, uh, providers uh, provide care across state lines, whereas before that was all regulated against. Um, it didn't make sense before. Uh, it doesn't make sense now, but now we're allowed to do things that make sense. Uh, and uh, I think the, 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 the real bottom line here is once consumers get a taste of this. Once you realize, well, I don't have to actually uh, take off half a day from work. Um, I don't have to schlep into the doctor's office and sit there with other sick people and uh, get exposed. And I don't have to sit in a, an exam room and wait for hours. I could do this literally from my desk at work or at home or anywhere or from my phone. Um, once people get a taste of that, I cannot imagine that the consumers will allow it to return back to what it was. And to be honest with you, from a provider perspective, this is just better care, easier care. It leverages the wisdom and intelligence and experience um, of uh, providers, uh, doctors and other providers in a way that they were really quite honestly locked up before. I mean, if you think of a, of a provider as a unique scarce resource, they were literally locked up in an exam room somewhere before. Why would you do that? Um, why not just open that up? So that's a very, that's one of many, many concrete examples of a change that is not hypothetical. It has already happened and it's not going to go back. So we could probably have the full hour just about this topic because I think Ted said earlier that we are all in, whether we're trained for it or not, we are all in, as, as Kevin said, the people and as Ted said, the healthcare, and as Elaine said, there's notion of everyone understanding that commerce isn't gonna be the same. You know, we're not gonna, probably a lot of these genies won't go back in the bottle. One of the things that I, I'm confused about is why it took this pandemic to make these changes happen. In other words, let's just take reimbursement, for example. You know, it, it, this was, the technology's been here all along. To go from 90, from 1% to 90%, what were the two things that really, other than, you know, the, the, the fear, but what were the two things that had to move the most to get the change to happen? Because these, of course, could be universal for business leaders as well. Yeah, so first of all, you know, there's the, the, this is a catalyst. I agree with what Elaine said before. Um, it, it wasn't that these changes weren't coming, they were coming. Uh, they, made, they made sense from a value perspective, from a cost perspective. Um, the problem was, and I heard someone say this the other day, the big butt in American healthcare is payment. And so I think it was payment. So the only way that a provider, that a doctor or a system got paid was if you walked into their exam room and they saw you in person. Otherwise, um, they were offering their services for free. And by the way, let me just say that that doctors offer a lot of their services for free. They don't charge. When you call up a doctor, there isn't a clock ticking every 15 minutes and you have to pay a certain amount. You get that care for free. There's literally hours each day of work that uh, physicians and other providers have been doing for years for free as part of the service because they couldn't get paid. Um, the big block was payment. And I think because of the overwhelming public health need not to have patients come in to prevent the spread of this infection, this pandemic, I think that was essentially, it was a catalyst. And you know, a catalyst is something that you pour into the mix and it completely changes the solution and then it disappears. And I think that COVID is gonna be the same way. It has come into the mix 
It will serve as a catalyst. It will completely transform just about every part of healthcare. And then hopefully it's going to disappear, but the new solution is going to be completely different than it was before. So hoping that we can do a longer version of this really important conversation with you. And we do follow your podcast and we do, we, we have read your book and maybe we'll have you in the author's studio as well. Um, let's just do one, one piece on something that you as a healthcare industry have modeled yourselves after some other industry that was doing something well. In other words, wait a minute, we can't do this, but this other industry has already mastered it. Have there been any inspirations from other industries to get through this pandemic? Well, uh, I, I'm sure there are many. I mean, I, again, I, I would go back to sort of the, the virtual health, the digital health. You know, many other industries have now converted to digital. Um, the idea that you can have asynchronous communication. Uh, I mean, it's, if you think about if you think about healthcare, just put them side by side. Healthcare, you have to uh, call up, uh, go see a uh, provider uh, in real time. Uh, you know, just about every other industry has converted to a asynchronous communication. I mean, we we communicate with our family and friends asynchronously. We're constantly texting, you know, sending messages. Um, and I think that one of the things that uh, we're adopting right now is this understanding that that care can be asynchronous. And so, um, you know, I, I think artificial intelligence, machine learning is probably a little bit in the future in terms of, of really reaping the benefits of it. But I think what we're going to there are already examples of uh, companies that are offering uh, care, very specific care around diabetes and high blood pressure. And it's all done digitally, it's all done asynchronously, it's done in groups and cohorts. And I think what we're gonna see is a rapid, rapid assimilation of digital technology into healthcare in a way that we've never seen before. And again, I speak to these companies all the time uh, about their efforts, uh, and they've been around. Digital health has been around for over a decade, but you don't know or hear much about it. And quite honestly, they've been given the Heisman. Um, they're, they're just not really been allowed to enter into the mainstream of healthcare. And I think what you're going to see here now is just uh, a deluge of digital health companies, digital health technologies, asynchronous technologies, artificial intelligence, machine learning, all of that in the next year or two, I think is going to completely transform uh, the healthcare experience for people. Uh, and, and again, I just want to add this, and I know we don't have a lot of time, one of the deficiencies in our healthcare system has been the care of the disenfranchised, uh, people who don't have uh, as much income. And we know that this is a major social determinant of health. A significant percentage of the population just has not had great access to care, um, not preventive care, proactive care. And I think one of the silver linings is gonna be, we're gonna see that that's gonna change hopefully. And it's gonna change for a lot of reasons, one of which is it's in the best interest of every individual in our society, both in the United States and across the globe to make sure that everyone is healthy because what we're seeing is that no one, but no one is immune to uh, pandemics like this. And I think that's another positive uh, consequence out of this, uh, you know, this crisis at this moment. Well, we are all in this together for sure. And we would love to have another opportunity to talk in more depth. Let's go on to Kevin now. Um, that was incredibly inspiring actually. Kevin, you um, work in a different industry. And in, in, tell us a little bit about the perspective that you take in terms of the cross industry and uh, beyond just the snail quote. What are, what are your thoughts about how cross industry trends, headwinds and tailwinds are, are affecting the world you live in? So I, I, first of all, Zev, I'm huge amount of respect for what you're doing. Um, I'm sitting here sort of nodding away with a lot of the stuff you're saying. So personally, thank you. Um, if I look at this from sort of financial services for the past five or six years, I've been preaching a message of collaboration over competition. And this is where this idea of being the fastest snail in a snail race isn't good enough anymore. And I think the pandemic is going to accelerate that a bit, but I don't think it's just because of the pandemic. I think over the years, financial services has been under threat from FinTech specifically. But I think what you've seen is a large number of the industry players are collaborating, whether that's through innovation investment funds, um, captive investment funds, or even going out and actually running projects, proof of concepts, production products with these small startup companies. So I, I think the headwinds and the tailwinds that we're seeing, they're not 
really that different. I just think it's really sort of showing that you said we're all in this together and it, it's exactly the same where I'm coming from. Well, you were also talking about people and, and it's interesting to think about the fact that clearly I think all of us are in agreement that um, the future is the people and, and no technology is going to dominate it without the people being front and center in, in the way that we do commerce. I'm, I'm wondering what you see from the people perspective. I think, let's think about customers and maybe you're in a different part of the world. Um, tell, it, tell us about what trends you're seeing in terms of, I'll bring up one, one theme, trust, um, flexibility with regards to the mindset around currency. Um, I think what Zev just said about security you know, the, the, the feeling of security yep. and also maybe obligation to others, you know, this notion of the haves and the have nots. Anything with that that you're seeing from the parts of the world that you that you work in? And by the way, tell us where you mostly operate in terms of your, your perspective. So I'm based in Brussels. So obviously Europe is my sort of playground. Um, but I'm sort of seeing I've got sort of friends and connections, US, Singapore, Australia, sort of all over. Um, I think when you talk about currency, I think one of the interesting things is actually looking at the payment methods. Um, everybody's sort of got this phrase, cash is king, whereas right now, cash doesn't seem to be wanted. So if lots of things are moving contactless. So if I take a look at what's happening, if I go to a shop here in Belgium, they don't want you handling cash over. They don't want you touching a pin pad to put your pin in. You just tap and go. So that idea of you're trusting a machine to take your payment without any verification means you've got to have a huge amount of trust in the industry behind it. Mm. And I think it's taken a long time to sort of get there, but I think now is a time where these type of technologies are coming to the sort of forefront. So just sort well, of cross industry wide, you're sort of seeing this idea that, yep, there's, there's people behind this, but actually this is going to help everybody. So the follow on effects from that are the fact that now your, your cash flow is actually digital so there's a lot more that you can do with these kinds of things so rather than it being sort of cash based and having to deal with cash you're actually all your systems are now moving that sort of way well this is another topic that could be another hour because this is super fascinating and we are doing a whole segment on only finance and fintech and 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 the the related industries in a couple of weeks i'm i'm really interested in something that zev said which is there's, there's a, an expression, the tail can wag the dog, that sometimes, you know, it can be this, the small piece that changes something really big. And regulatory has been so big in finance. First of all, it afforded some organizations and uh, entities an unfair advantage over others because they had regulation in their favor. And then sometimes it was the case that the, the you know, that the populace might want something, but you couldn't. You couldn't do things cross-border easily. You couldn't, this notion of cashless. I remember uh, Sean and I once talked about when I was in China on a project last year, and it's like this 5,000-year-old city, and the only way you could pay to get on the boat was with Alipay on your phone, on your mobile. You know, they didn't take credit cards, they didn't take cash, and it's a 5,000-year-old city. And we were having a hard time in the States, you know, even with tapping a credit card. So what are some ways that the tail is now wagging the dog? You know, that the need or the demand from the populist perspective is forcing regulation and or um, organizations and corporations to really change their style. So if, if you look at what regulation is actually for, it's actually to protect consumers. So a lot of what you're sort of talking about how it being an unfair advantage being with or without and quite often people were pointing at fintechs going well they're not regulated that's why that was never true i think what people didn't understand was when you look at a small fintech payment company it's got exactly the same regulation as a large financial industry the only difference is because they are so narrowly focused on that one thing they've only got 20 or 30 regulations whereas a financial industry player has probably got two or three hundred in the same sort of thing but that regulation is there for a reason. So no matter what the public were demanding, whether that's then or whether it's now, I think the regulation is there to protect the public. So taking a look at healthcare, it's as, as regulated, if not more regulated than financial services. These protections are in place for a very good reason. I don't think 
what we're seeing now should change them dramatically. They may need to be looked at, but I think they've been put in place for a reason. It's not there to stifle competition. It really is about protecting the consumer. That's a great point. And I have a question to circle back. We, we, we're going to run out of time before we run out of topics for sure. I'm really interested in what you said earlier about people. And since this is a cross-industry conversation, I'm interested in, are there any, we, we use the word, um, you know, what's finance stealing from other industries or borrowing or modeling yourselves after, and probably the inverse as well. You know, where are there some cross-industry inspiration for, you know, let's just take the, the notion of people. Who's doing it really well to be, to be addressing the, the aspect and the dimension of the people issues the way that you were describing? So I think if I took a step back pre-COVID, one of the things that I was seeing quite often was this concept of design thinking. So putting yourself in the shoes of customers. It was pretty much the mantra of startups using lean startup and things like this. And that's where a lot of finance is going. And I think that idea of really understanding your consumer, how they're doing things, monitoring them, that's how you're gonna get a competitive advantage. If you ignore your customer, they're gonna ignore you. It's great. So any, any parting thoughts in terms of what do you think is ahead? I think it was really interesting to hear from Zev, you know, is this permanent change? And if so, what are the things that will never be the same again in terms of the new normal? Any, any thoughts about what's going to either go back or what's going to stay different forever? Right now, from where I'm sitting, I think it's a little bit too early to tell. I think sort of Ted talked about focusing on the here and now. And so when I talked about focusing on people, it's about focusing on the here and now. We need to make sure that everybody is okay, everybody's pulling together and everybody gets through this, and then we'll figure out what's next. I'm, you, you talked, Sean, about sort of this optimistic side of me. I'm a great believer in humanity. I think together we will come through this. And I think that might be the long lasting effect is this togetherness that we weren't seeing before. Mm, interesting. So that's incredible. Let me turn it back to Sean to talk to Ted. Yeah, I've, uh, this is an interesting one for me, Ted, because we both live in Toronto. And now driving across Toronto, it takes me 15 minutes, uh, what used to take an hour, given what's going on. Um, maybe this is uh, uh, foretelling a future in terms of, okay, we're all back to work again, but uh, you know, we're using automotive and mobility differently. And I've just maybe as a starting point, I read an article the other day about just redefining automotive and mobility terms, that if you look at it as a bigger umbrella or aperture, it's really not about selling cars. It's about getting things and people to move from one place to another. Um, I don't know if that leads you into industry tailwinds and headwinds for your industry. Yeah, it's a good segue. Uh, I joined GM almost four years ago in part because um, Mary Barra had started articulating the need to disrupt ourselves before we were disrupted. So there was already a certain amount of um, diversification is the wrong word, but embracing sort of what was happening in, in these cities that were becoming mega cities around the world, increased density. It'll be interesting to see where that, that trend goes. But certainly we knew that you know one person one car was not going to be the future everywhere and understanding how do you move you know goods around and how do you understand um, the sort of lifestyle people need and you know if you look at sort of our, our new car buyers even the last few years most of them are more worried about pairing their phone to the car than worried about um, you know how much horsepower it has so the conversation had already been changing from just selling cars to can we sell kilometers or miles enjoyed on the road and uh, how do we think about that both in terms of delivering people and goods i think um so that diversification led us into the world of electric vehicles to autonomous vehicles um looking at you know lots of things that sort of happen with connection uh, for people in the cars. Um, we've had an OnStar brand for a number of years and just last week some people in our Canadian call center helped actually deliver a baby of a woman who was trying to get to a hospital and you know with all the concerns about getting to healthcare, you know some of our folks have been trained by first responders in terms of coaching people along so a connection matters so much right now and 
it'll be interesting to see how how trusted brands sort of step into this role. Um, so that's really to me been sort of the the biggest uh, tailwinds for us. Um, and we can get into the headwinds, um, but you know, I I am bullish like Kevin. I I do think that you know I've seen a lot of great coming together in the in the last few months. You know, despite some of the sort of boundaries we're putting up in terms of trying to spread the sort of uh, stop the viral spread, I, I really do hope that we open up these borders once again. It's not certain, but I, I really do think that the sort of partnerships that we're showing sow the seeds for that. Now, it's um, interesting. If I took a, a wider prism here, a wider window, Ted, um, and I mentioned off the top that people should be looking at other industries. I think automotive probably was one of the first industries to go, ooh, now Google's interested in my industry. Now this new player called Tesla's interested in my industry. Um, you're seeing signs and evidence of the, uh, the established players um, heading off against um, some of the new, new people on the block. Um, any thoughts in terms of how that changes your mindset and views as an innovator and, and how cross industry may be? Maybe the first part you look at every day is looking at TechCrunch or something as opposed to something more automotive in nature. Yeah, the cross industry one has been interesting. You know, I think about, you know, Zev's comments around the sort of healthcare regulation changing. And, you know, when we started talking to Ventec about a month ago around the ventilator ramp up of production, some of the changes that allowed us to um, take sort of, you know, the relatively modest expectations for normal demand for ventilators and sort of really blow that up and, you know, go 10x and more of what they were producing. It's been really interesting for us to see um, what will happen back and forth between industries. Um, and, and I think, you know, these sort of manufacturing shifts and the ability to sort of understand both business to business or consumer um, needs is going to mean that, you know, the, the pace of how we think of manufacturing and you know what is your role today may not be the exact same job tomorrow and i think reading a, a workforce and the general public for that i think is pretty important um you know also you know kevin mentioned the sort of design thinking point and um i we had embraced that a, a few years ago as well and this idea of how do we really get to the front lines of of what's happening i um i spent some time earlier this week delivering groceries to a woman in uh, basically a community housing residence. We've got a program, a volunteer program, where we have vetted volunteers um, safely delivering groceries to people who can't get to their, their local stores. And, you know, just understanding, okay, what is this goods delivery business mean for them? What's the sort of safe transaction what's going to be temporary, what's going to be long-term. And that's really been informed by a design thinking lens. Um, so I think, you know, our industry and thinking about grocery and, you know, food, medicines, you're going to start seeing a lot of things come together. Um, I actually think that talking to a, an old friend of mine from PwC, who was talking about the vehicle as a vector for um, possibly some light um, indicators of risk. So we sell a lot of fleet vehicles to delivery drivers. So, you know, what if that person delivering for Instacart or Uber Eats, you know, was able to get into their vehicle, um, have some more information about their temperature or um, other risk factors and kind of give them that distant early warning or the fleet operator that distant early warning um, in terms of should they be going on that delivery route today? And can we sort of have a vector that kind of helps prevent um, that possible spread? So I think it's gonna be um, very important for us to look at this sort of cross industry collaboration. Um, it used to be sort of borrowing without talking to the industry. And now it's very much, we don't see each other as, as that separate as we used to. And I think there's, there's active conversations going on. There's so much, you know, if you think about just our relationship with cars over the years, there's so much redefining of what's going on uh, in the future. I mean, I could go down 
what, 40 different facets in terms of now I don't have to look when I'm self-driving my car. What do I do for that half hour that I would have done otherwise? Is this an advertising vehicle? Is this a, do you set it up like a living room? All that kind of stuff. Maybe, maybe what I'll ask to do and as a gestalt question is just kind of like, paint me a picture. What is this, what is this industry? What does it look like five years from now? Like it's, it's easy to go futuristic 10, 15, but you know, what are the substantial changes, Ted, that might happen over the next five years? Well, we, we, we still think electric vehicles are going to be uh, a big factor. I mean, even though you're looking at gas prices being at a record low, there's lots of other reasons to, to switch to electric vehicles, especially in the delivery of, of goods. Um, but what we're seeing is actually the electric vehicle you may not have expected might be e-bikes. So I've looked at some of the transit usage figures, you know, down 80, 85% in some major centers. Now, I don't think public transit is absolutely going to crater, but there's going to be a lot of people who reconsider holding onto that subway rail um, in the future. And so I would, I would hate for them to sort of go back to a congested world where, Sean, your, your commute across Toronto is another 45 minutes to an hour instead of 15 minutes. But is there interim solutions like e-bikes that can be used for uh, commuting as opposed to just recreational purposes? Can they be used for for delivering goods and medicine? And so, you know, the 130 million e-bikes that are pretty predicted to be sold between 2020 and 2023 are a big one. We've got a we've got a horse in that race. We've got an arrive e-bike brand that's working, even right now with some of frontline essential workers trying to give them a safe way to get uh, to and from their their homes and places of work. Um, but I think the other thing that I'm, I'm looking for in the next five years is um, certainly some of this contactless delivery. Um, what will be some of the ways that we use data to understand maybe how we double up on trips. Like when I was delivering groceries for that woman, I was actually making a trip for my own family and separating the goods and trying to reduce the amount of trips. So I think there's also going to be a lot of careful thinking about um, how do we how do we manage that? There's some logistical challenges in there. There's some some things that, and I saw somebody in the chat talking about sort of antimicrobial. So I think you're going to start seeing some people talking about, you know, even shared bikes. Will they have different handles and brake levers that um, allow them to be shared more easily? Or um, how we'll think differently about kind of getting around cities and and when we should be working from home and when we should be going out. It's so interesting what a pandemic makes you think about, right? Like um, we did a study in January and pandemic in terms of big global issues that might happen was 16th on the list of threats. It's amazing how uh, making it first uh, changes your prism on uh, the future. All right, Ted, I, I, I'm going to bring you back in at the end. I'm going to get to um, our fourth topic of four, um, retail, shopping and commerce. We've got Elaine Pratt here. And um, Elaine, you've heard a lot of stuff. Hopefully the kittens are in stable environment and they, not another delivery has happened here yet. We know we've got Zev on the line here, but we need him. Um, biggest headwinds, tailwinds in, in retail shopping and commerce. I know certainly my, my last four weeks has significantly changed in terms of my relationship with, uh, with the retailers around me. I think that um, the, the tailwinds for certain retailers are headwinds for others, depending on which, uh, which, which side of the wind you're on. <laughs> Um, for example, uh, e-commerce is a huge tailwind for retailers with strong online um, and e-commerce capabilities, um, but it's a major headwind for, uh, for traffic-dependent uh, stores. Uh, I expect we're going to probably see you know, a lot of retailers uh, closing this year uh, as a result of COVID and just not being able to pull through. Although interestingly, um, even the, the online retailers, uh, a lot of them are struggling to get the inventory to, to fulfill the orders they're getting. So because of the distribution center um, shutdowns in, in many cases, uh, we'll see a rise of uh, BOPIS buy online pickup in store or pickup somewhere, they're saying is, is what the new uh, definition of S um, even there are even stores that are opening up who are exclusively pickup. Uh, Starbucks has a has a pickup only location in New York City now. Um, we're seeing Walgreens and 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 
Kroger and, and stores like that um, um, offering pickup only uh, locations. Um, supply chain and manufacturing, uh, I think we'll see a, a return to, to local suppliers and um, an increased willingness of consumers to, to pay premiums for, for locally manufactured and sourced products. Um, technology, so technology would be a, a huge tailwind for companies that are adopting it and using it effectively. Uh, as has been mentioned several times, uh, contactless payments, as well as um, contactless checkout, uh, like the Amazon stores are offering, for example, uh, robotics, robots to, 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 to restock shelves and, and do inventory, um, drones to, to deliver. So I think that as we, as we, go to a more contactless society, uh, these technologies are going to be um, tailwinds for companies adopting them. Um, growth in, in subscription economy, so, so retailers offering subscription-based services, uh, we'll, see, we'll see a rise in that. Uh, up until now, subscriptions have been exclusively or predominantly in, in the software uh, business, but now we're having subscriptions offered by grocery and, and other household um, product uh, retailers and manufacturers. But finally, um, as you know, has been alluded to by everybody so far, particularly Kevin, who mentioned focus on, on people. Um, the, I think COVID has really uh, shone a spotlight on, on companies and their, uh, their people and community uh, practices. Uh, even, even before this, it was, uh, you know, there were trends in, in companies uh, to, to increase their sustainability and uh, practices and environmental impact and community services. And, and through COVID even more so, um, we're seeing retailers IKEA's you know, set up a, a drive-through test center for um, NHS workers in the UK. Uh, um, op opened up its food market for vulnerable people. Uh, we're seeing donations to food banks, charities, and uh, COVID relief coming from retailers. So an opportunity for 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 retailers to really step up and earn uh, credibility and trust and, um, and loyalty from consumers in a new way. And, and like I said, uh, with the spotlight of COVID shining on them, we're gonna see um, you know, it, it making or breaking a lot of companies. I have this fear, uh, Lane, and, and maybe we can turn it into a positive because I love the, the optimistic streak we've had in this discussion today. My fear is that these small independent retailers that don't have a lot of capital, maybe not a lot of technology or some of the things that you're talking about in terms of how we're moving to, you know, um, contactless kind of stuff. Um, it'll, it may be just the domain of the big retailers and they'll take over. And if I take that one step further, it means that corner shop that I used to love going to is now gone. And therefore, where do we all hang out together as a local community? Is there a picture here that says, you know, we can redefine retail and they can become the new community centers of the future or, or something that actually still knits people together locally? Because I think we underestimate how much retail and shopping brings us together locally um, as a community. Is there, is there a, a positive outlook picture you can paint here? Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for the small retailers who, who, um, you know, who aren't, who aren't as well positioned to develop, to compete with the e-commerce giants uh, or who don't have the, the resources to adopt the technology um, that's gonna take them into the future. But, you know, to your point, there's definitely, there's always gonna be a place for, for, for retailers. They just have to uh, redefine what they offer. Uh, there's a, I can't remember the name of the bike, the bike brand. I'm sure somebody will know it, but it's, it's, a, it's an international um, cycling 
company and they make bikes and clothing, but they're a meeting place and a coffee shop for cyclists and they just happen to sell clothing and bikes. Um, Rafa, 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 that's it, that's it. Um, so finding new ways to bring uh, customers in, into their retail spaces, you know, Nike is very good at that by having, uh, you know, innovation and in-store customization. Uh, but, but that was a trend that existed uh, before COVID yeah. for retailers to find new, new reasons to, to bring, for customers to come into their stores. Um, I just think it's a matter of, you know, who survives not only the COVID pandemic immediate crisis where people are staying home, but even you know, even six months or more afterwards, because people's spending is is shifting to different things. Um, the economy is is going to be weak, and consumer sentiment is uh, is low. So, I've been I've been fascinated. Just I looked at the list of eleven growing categories and and stuff you can buy in e-commerce. Bread machines is number two. People have finally found a use for bread machines again. I guess right. So. <laughs> If we could just uh, quick, maybe some uh, just quick bets because we have to move on to kind of our, our wrap up discussion here, Elaine. But um, if you get past this, let's like I'm optimistic here. Three months from now, it'll be better. Six months from now, hopefully it'll be like, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully forget how bad it was. But um, hopefully all our stocks will be back up. <laughs> if you look at the five year outlook, um, like, is there any smart bet that you would say, I would definitely put money on this or bank on the fact that this is going to happen in retail? Um, I think that there's going to be uh, increased um, interest in, in health and wellness and organic foods, that type of, uh, th that, that product category. I think people are more aware of their, their health and are more willing to pay for it now. And um, you know, and secondly, uh, the online grocery, the, the UK and, and China have been buying their groceries online for more than a decade. And uh, North America was just slow to, to pick it up. But I think that the crisis has, uh, has tipped people over to it. Now they're saying, hmm, maybe I don't need to squeeze my avocados. And, uh, and I think that a lot of people who have gone to online grocery shopping are going to stick with it. Cool. Um, really good insights, Elaine. Um, uh, and it's, 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 it's really interesting. I've been personally fascinated with where retail is headed. Um, we're going to just kind of do our, our wrap-up piece here. Maybe, Andrew, maybe you can shepherd us through kind of the round the horn and summary discussion is one. Oh, you may be muted. But what we like to do here is have everyone give an insight of something that you learned. We, we always learn so much from these conversations and each one of you could have probably been an hour in, in your, for yourselves. But anything that you learned, and I'll go from Ted to Elaine to Zev to Kevin in that order, just one aha or insight that you had just from listening to this conversation today, a reflection or an insight. Ted? I think it's the the openness of of other industries to um, you know prioritize what's what's important and sort of the health of ourselves and our and our cities and countries and you know how are we all sort of pulling together here i I think um, you know Zev in particular talked about sort of removing barriers and to me that is sort of a, a huge lesson that if we can do that there and we kind of align on what's right. Um, we can solve a lot of problems across uh, industries going forward. Mm, great. Elaine, something, and we always have to unmute, um, anything that, that you learned from just the conversation that we just were part of? Well, I, I, I didn't know uh, that much about the healthcare industry and how it had shifted completely online and the digital um, and, and new technology that's going to enable uh, healthcare providers to increasingly provide those services uh, remotely. I think, um, I, I think that's amazing. It's a long time coming and, uh, and um, that, that, that was interesting to me. Great, and uh, Zev, and by the way, we have incorporated some of the Q&A that we've been uh, experiencing on the chat into the conversation and we really appreciate this. We, we folded in a few of the themes 
from the community and, and we will continue to, uh, to value that. Thank you very much. There is uh, one other topic we might uh, discuss here too. Um, Zev, um, wh what did you learn so far from, from this group, this experience? Well, I, I just want to say I really enjoyed listening to Kevin and Ted and Elaine speak and uh, learned a lot, actually been taking notes as you all have been speaking. You know, I think, uh, you know, going back to this theme that Kevin mentioned and Ted and Elaine touched upon as well, the idea about relationships and kind of, uh, you know, healthcare has been very, very, uh, in some sense, science and technology focused, uh, which is important, clearly because uh, we want the best, uh, most advanced care for ourselves and our loved ones. But at the same time, it's fundamentally about people. And I think that um, uh, hopefully one of the uh, positives that come out of this uh, pandemic is that refocusing on people. Uh, I, I do even, you know, even as we're sitting here doing a Zoom chat, um, you know, the idea that uh, physicians have a panel, uh, you know, you might call it a flock of patients, typically 1,500 to 2,500 uh, people that they provide care for at any given time. Um, you know, why aren't doctors doing this, exactly this, with their panels? Why aren't they holding Zoom education, uh, you know, hours? Uh, and again, it doesn't have to be clinical and it, uh, it doesn't have to reveal any personal things, but people have a lot in common that they could share, they can help each other. And they just uh, also in this particular moment in time when everyone's socially isolated, what a great idea. So uh, I, I, I learned a lot from the other folks here uh, and I learned a lot from just this experience as well. And I, I will say, I just post, I'm gonna post a, an interview tomorrow morning from a doctor, Dr. Iffy, who takes care of 2,000 patients with sickle cell disease. And she, in fact, holds uh, Zoom education sessions uh, a number of times every week for her patients. So it's already happening. It's fantastic to see that, that so much has occurred. So Kevin, you want to give us the insights? What did you learn from this experience from, from the other panelists? So I think I started off by talking about how I've believed in collaboration for the past five or six years. And something that sort of Ted said about how car manufacturers are getting involved in ventilators, how it's about rethinking what the future can look like. I commute into work every day. So you sort of, when you sort of said that you're going to put your hand on that subway pole, it's just like, yeah, maybe I'm not. So the, these sort of ideas that things are going to change, but things are also going to be the same. And I think it's that underlying sort of piece of bringing people together, working together, I think it's been reflected in what everybody's been talking about and yeah, collaborate or, or go home. Well, I'll turn it back over to Sean. Um, I'll just say thank you so much to this panel. I feel so much these days because we are in, you know, this, the physical isolation from each other. And yet there's this strange intimacy of feeling that the world comes together more more vitally in many ways when we have these deep conversations eye to eye. And I really, I feel very moved by what we all talked about. And I have a combination of probably mm, a, a real sense that we are, it is the human. I think that's the big, the big takeaway for me. It's, it's, it's these kinds of conversations and people that are gonna make the change occur, uh, whether it's in our industries or cross industry. Mm, incredible, love, Sean? I love the uh, metaphorical sun as it climbs above Kevin's shirt right now. It's like, uh, I think the, uh, the line I had in my last email was the, the sun always, uh, the sun rises tomorrow. It always does. And maybe that's kind of being the optimistic spirit that we've carried in this discussion. So Kevin, well done on this uh, creative effect that you've created in your own room here. But, uh, <laughs> and I'd also, I'd also like to say a quick thank you to the community. We've been reading the chat and um, someone just gave us a big high five. This was awesome. So the community also really appreciates the time that you've spent in a very important time taking away from your quote day jobs to, to enlighten us. And the community has been awesome in the chat. So thank you very much for that. So Sean, close us out. And I know uh, we will post this as a full episode on our page and all of our different webcasts and hopefully we'll experience comments there. If you can continue to look at the chat box there as we wrap up here, Andrew, if there's something yeah. that we need to interject at the end. Uh, and just to echo Andrew's thoughts, I thought not only was this a, a really uh, sharp future savvy panel that looks outside of its industry, you all just seem like really nice people that have your your mind in the right place. So I do want to thank you for bringing that to the table here and, and likely every, in your everyday jobs as well. Uh, we do have two future um, webcasts, um, certainly Kevin from Kevin, but since you all are cross industry, the future of finance will be happening in a couple weeks time. 
and we'll be tackling the future of work in at least three three facets of it um, sometime in May. You know, if you do kind of sign up for a vault, uh, we do have this thing called the Business Stage Act. We've got like a 20, 20 page report on what do people want out of their thought leaders? And it's interesting and surprising what people want. So um, we did a study from last year and we're just making it freely available to people on sign up. Um, I did produce kind of the 50 stats in terms of just some of the stuff we were talking about today, but more of what's happened over the last two weeks. So if you're interested in that, um, we also have a tool that we look at headwinds and tailwinds and that'll be in our new book as well. And then once again, thank you to our panel. Uh, I want to thank uh, my co-host Andrew for, for shepherding this and, and bringing some of our panelists into the discussion as well. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Um, I don't know if there's anything that's come across in the chat um, that uh, is pertinent in closing Pe us to Andrea. People are very grateful and I, I would echo that. Thanks to all, well done, you know, five out of five. It's, people are moved. I think that, that, the, that the reminder that all this change brings us together is echoed in everything that people are saying in the community and lots of appreciation. I think we brought the future forward today, didn't we? All right, well, to our panel, to our community, to Andrea and Joanne, our community manager, uh, we'll be seeing you in the future.